Welcome to Global Bitcoin Fest and the Scotland Bitcoin community. Super excited to be hearing what's happening in Bitcoin in Scotland and what each and every one of our guests is up to. And some Bitcoin history in Scotland, we're also going to hear. Short feature on Scotland, part of the UK with a population of 5.4 million people, but it's its own country. The capital is Edinburgh and the largest city is Glasgow. There are two official languages, English and Scottish Gaelic. The country includes 790 islands or more and has unicorn as its national animal. What? What? Scotland is responsible for producing over 90% of the world's Scotch whiskey. I love whiskey. Scara Broy, the famous historical site, may be the origin of henges like Stonehenge. The archaeological experts, they don't agree necessarily on this subject. The Loch Ness Monster, affectionately known as Nessie, is a mythical creature said to inhabit Loch Ness. The nation is known for its traditional tartan patterns on kilts, as well as the bagpipes that we just heard. One of the very famous Scotch songs. And uh, Global Bitcoin Fest, we are talking to Bitcoiners in one country every week. We love to connect Bitcoiners in different countries with each other as well. Happens all the time. And last but not least, we only follow Bitcoin maximalists, the guests that have been on our show. So if you want to connect to any Bitcoiners in any country, you can just check who Global Bitcoin Fest follows. And you can connect with them if you're going anywhere. For example, if you're going to Scotland, you can connect with them. With that, we have a next song. I'm going to be 500 miles by The Proclaimers. Feels like a good fit with Edinburgh having a walk every Saturday. A good proof of walk song. This song was selected by Glasgow Bitcoin. When I wake up well, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out, yeah, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who goes along with you. If I get drunk, well, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who gets drunk next to you. And 
Glasgow Bitcoin, do you want to add anything to that? Just that I think it's quite a fitting song. And I still remember the first time that Rivers, who does the Bitcoin Edinburgh Walk, told me that he calls it Proof of Walk. And he has a bright orange hoodie with the words Proof of Walk on the back. So it seems like a, a really fitting song. Thanks, Peter. That's didn't expect that, but that was really good. <laughs> Walks around with the orange hoodie. So you can spot him, spot him 500 miles away. Indeed, yeah. Well, you know, I never thought of that song actually. Uh, now, when I when I listen to the lyrics and everything, of course, I, I heard the song many times before. But I appreciate you uh, dedicating that song to Bitcoin Walk. It's it's very much uh, intact. Yeah, I would love to hear each one of you present yourselves. We're interested to hear your orange pill story, how you came to be a Bitcoiner, and then also what you do in Bitcoin today. We'll dive deeper into what you do in Bitcoin today later, but just give us a hint of the things you're doing today. So um, Glasgow, maybe if you could uh, kick this off. Yeah, sure. Well, I often have sort of nightmares or bad memories about the first time I heard about Bitcoin when I was scrolling through the news channels and I would come across Max Kaiser, the crazy eccentric uh, TV presenter who would talk a lot about Bitcoin. And I wish at the time I had to listen to him, but it wasn't until around 2020 when I was locked in my house for several months that made me really think about money and where I'd like to save my energy. And I started to go from there down the rabbit hole. And at first, just like everybody else, I was a bit of a shit coiner. And, but at the time, I thought I had what was called a diversified portfolio. And that was a smart thing to do. But like everybody else, I saw what I invested pretty much go to zero. And I learned my lesson. I still carry the scars in my back from the mistakes I made. But got me here, it got me laser focused on Bitcoin. I don't think I would have got there any other way if I hadn't have been through that experience. And at the moment, help run the Glasgow Bitcoin Meetup. And we meet every second Wednesday of the month in Glasgow City Centre. I also help organise a monthly online Zoom call to try and bring in Scottish Bitcoiners that might be stuck in one of those remote islands that you mentioned about earlier on. More recently, I helped organise an event down in England at Satoshi's place. And that's where I am at the moment. And you help bring everybody together. Thank you for doing that. We have uh, Haggis Hoddle. 
Hello, Mahagas. I've been in Bitcoin since 2020. It was just shortly before COVID all kicked off that I got into Bitcoin. I was lucky because I had a friend that was done all the coining prior to me getting into Bitcoin. So he effectively taught me the lessons and told me what to avoid and explained that, you know, the only thing that is worth your time is Bitcoin. So luckily I managed to avoid any sort of shitcoining stages. But since 2020, just a humble pleb, I would say. I'm not really kind of totally out there in terms of meetups and getting involved, a sort of silent observer. I would say, but full on maximalist. I love Scotland and I'm just really happy to be here and everyone joining in as well. Thank you for joining. Colin. Hello. Hi, everyone. So I'm Colin and I've been in Bitcoin since 2014. But I actually got into Bitcoin. Well, I didn't realize it was Bitcoin I was getting into, but I started hating banks about 2008 during the financial crisis. Woke up one morning when I was on a, a business trip to news on the BBC telling me that if Lloyds didn't rescue the Bank of Scotland by the end of the day. All the money that we had worked hard to accumulate was all going to be lost. And it was at that point where I realized only the money I had in my wallet at that point was actually money. And everything else, all these, at that point, it would be low millions of pounds that we had sitting in various accounts in, in the Bank of Scotland. That wasn't our money at all. That was simply a a credit the Bank of Scotland owed me. And so in that instant, that gut-wrenching sickness I felt in the pit of my stomach made it crystal clear to me what counterparty risk was and why I'd been so stupid never to see it before. So that day in 2008 really set me on my path to Bitcoin. And so in 2014, when Scotland was having a, an independence referendum, I decided that I wanted to place some money outside of the, the traditional financial system because I, I thought it's very likely something like that could happen again. And I'd heard about Bitcoin because I'm a bit of a tech geek. So I'd been following Bitcoin since the sort of early days, but I'd also been an e-gold investor, if anybody remembers that, back in the 90s. I've been doing that. It hadn't really gone anywhere. It failed for all the reasons that we, we now know, centralization being one of them. So I kind of given Bitcoin a, a passing look and thought, nah, it'll fail like everything else. But then in 2014, I thought, right, where can I put money that's outside the financial system? Of course, the smart thing to do would have been gold at that point, but I didn't know really anything about it. That's what sensible people would have done. But because I'm a bit of a geek, I thought, I wonder if that Bitcoin thing's still alive. Lo and behold, it was. I thought, yeah, I'll give that a go. So I put some money in Bitcoin. And yeah, I've kind of never looked back since that point, learning about it and realizing, you know, the I think the banking crisis in 2008 really opened my eyes to it. It was Bitcoin that that really showed me the the real meaning of money and and just going down that rabbit hole that I think all the Bitcoin maxis listening all know so well that that yeah it got me to the point where it's like this to me and I had the privilege of growing up um, you know watching the internet being invented and to me this is Bitcoin is the most important uh, technical invention since the invention of the internet. At the moment, I'm kind of like Haggis. I don't really get in, involved in organizing things. I'm more of a participant, but I'm one of these people. I'm happy to sit with anybody, any of my friends or that who are interested in Bitcoin. I don't like to push it on them. But if somebody's interested in learning more, then I'm more than happy to spend as long as it takes to walk somebody through the, you know, the, the rationale behind Bitcoin, why it's not a fraud, why it's the best form of money that's ever been invented. You know, it's money perfected, all that sort of thing. And to, to let them understand how it can help them in whatever situation they, they happen to be as well. So I like to um, orange pill people, but, but I'm more of a one-to-one -one orange piller than a, a one-to-many. 
makes me think of my recent experiences with carrying Bitcoin t-shirts and Bitcoin sweaters. People come up and ask, and uh, it's a good occasion to uh, to talk about Bitcoin. Yeah, rivers and Glasgow Bitcoin are, are really helping me to come to terms with that. It's not a natural thing for me. I'm quite shy and retiring, a little bit of an introvert. But, but yeah, I'm getting used to it, and uh, it's, it's great to be around people who are pushing that. Thank you very much, Colin. And we have none other but Bitcoin Walk. Hey, hey, go by rivers. Yes, you know, I'll just start with the way Bitcoin Walk has begun, the pilgrimage <laughs> to our deliberation. Basically, you know, I moved to, to Edinburgh four years ago now, or three years ago, actually. Me and my partner, we just had our second child, and we were kind of freely escaping the lockdowns back in London and moving to Edinburgh. And it was a tough family time for us, you know, as a family unit. We had to look after the older one and the younger one as well. And I needed some me time for myself. We agreed that, okay, there's two hours in a week where I can go out and just go for my trek around Archer's Seat and just, you know, this is my time. And I would do that and listen to podcasts and listen to some audiobooks that I just uh, discovered and uh, I started listening to the, the classic like you know the Bitcoin standard and then you know Jeff Booth and I was so overwhelmed with what I was listening to and I felt like I need someone to talk about this stuff you know I, I need to ping off some ideas because that's just too important to just let it you know wander my, my brain and then not go anywhere that, that made me start the Bitcoin walk and you know I just put up a meetup.com <laughs> page where I advertise the meetup it's been going on for like a year and a half now. And, you know, every Saturday we meet up and we go for a walk. I'm based in Scotland, in Edinburgh. But effectively, you know, I think this is something that people should be doing around the world. Like literally just, you know, going for a walk, being, you know, in nature, away from the screen and just talking to other people, other Bitcoiners at different stages of their journey down the rabbit hole. Because it's so educational. You know, I had so many fantastic conversations with people. Some of them are on this call, you know, Colin, Boarding Club. Peter, we met in person and that was a great experience. And it's like that with everybody. Literally, we have a common denominator that's Bitcoin and it makes the conversation so much easier because you get to talk about anything, you know, economics, technology, politics, macroeconomics, geopolitics, philosophy, environment, energy, and it's just never ends. You can find any angle to the conversation. It makes it so much easier. So super grateful to be here and I encourage trying that anywhere you are, just going for a walk with someone and having an open conversation about money, about Bitcoin. That's me. Thank you so much, Rivers. Thank you. And Bad Boating Club. Yeah. Hi, everyone. And thanks for organizing this. I am a very recent Bitcoiner. I was so horrified by what we did as our response to COVID, that I started protesting against it quite vigorously. So there I was, this middle-aged, middle-class mum, protesting against the damage that we were doing with our response to COVID. And I realised that I was becoming very, very unpopular. And as I saw things closing around the world, I started to think that my hitherto just unquestioned privilege and assumption of financial freedom wasn't something that I should perhaps keep taking for granted. And that especially if I kept on speaking out against what our government was doing so much, that I might see my financial freedoms curtailed. And not so much for me, because you know I've traveled a lot, I've lived in, in a lot of places, but for my son, I wanted to guarantee 
guarantee that I would always have the wherewithal to give him a life of freedom. So that is what pushed me way out of my comfort zone. Because seriously, my family called me a techno pygmy. So the fact that I am the Bitcoiner in the family is just howlingly ironic. So through a freedom group, I started learning about crypto and I went down this, yeah, yeah. My time in shitcoins was mercifully brief. I learned valuable but expensive lessons. And I was, I think, six months when I realized that all the people whose ethics I respected, whose intellect I was, I've seriously, I have never met intellect of the caliber that I meet in the Bitcoin space from all different perspectives in my entire life before. But all of these people had one thing in common and that they said, look, it's Bitcoin only. So I started going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Now, I kind of came in in 2021, which was just with the whole number go up to that all-time high. And when I understood, when I grasped dimly enough, the concept of digital scarcity and a money that could not be manipulated, diluted and corrupted, that just blew my mind. In fact, it still blows my mind. And I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe that I had seen this and that everybody else didn't get it too. It was like, oh my God, better get some quick before everyone else realizes. And the price will just go up so fast and I will never be able to buy any ever again. Yeah. So that that happening to me in 2001 was quite expensive, as you can imagine. But then when kind of plummeted, I really had to start looking at what I was holding. And I did the deep dive and I must have spent certainly many hundreds, if not over a thousand hours, just reading. I'm in a Bitcoin book club. I meet other Bitcoiners. If I hadn't discovered Bitcoin, I would be in a vastly different place right now because this is what gives me hope for an equitable society and the best hope, frankly, for the human race. So I I love being in this sphere, even though we are very, very early. And sometimes there's a television program where there's a skit where it's, I'm the only gay in the village. Well, sometimes I very much feel like that in Bitcoin terms. Yeah. So it's really great, these opportunities to meet up both in person and also virtually. I've spoken for way too long and I'll shut up now and pass on to the next person enjoying this giggling a lot bad boating club um just the last question here do you do anything in bitcoin other than talk to your family members and go for a walk yes yes i sell i have badboating.club which is my website where i beat hearings with cryptic bitcoin statements uh, on them that only other bitcoiners will get and i sell those only for bitcoin so um the link should be on my twitter profile. But yeah, I put keyrings with things like not your keys on them that again, only Bitcoiners get. They're amazing. I have one. I've given them to other people as well. They're the best. Everyone should check them out. Yeah, I remember buying one. I think, Helen, was that the first transaction of Lightning we did? It was the first keyring I ever sold was to you, Rivers. And it was also my first Lightning transaction last year. So yeah. That felt epic, didn't it? Yeah, that was great. That's a great memory <laughs> for me. I'm going to remember buying some and having them whenever I go anywhere. I can give them as a present. We have 
Dumfries Hoddle. Hi, everyone. I can't really follow that, to be honest. Um, first thing I would say is I'm very sorry about your boating accident, but bad boating club to lose all your Bitcoin in that way is very unfortunate, to say the least. Maybe my experience in Bitcoin is not as bad as that. I'm new to it, similar to Glasgow Bitcoin, actually. I During COVID, during lockdown, I stumbled upon it. I actually... Uh, I'd seen various articles about it and lots of scammy people trying to sell you Bitcoin probably in the middle of the 2010 decade. And I never really, I never wanted to risk it. And I read an article, in fact, two articles by a guy called Dominic Frisby. He's a financial journalist and a comedian, actually. He's written a book on Bitcoin way back in 2014. And he's a gold bug. I read Dominic's couple of articles by Dominic Frisby, and it made me think maybe I should look more into this. And so I bought some Bitcoin. I didn't buy it directly, I confess. Originally, I bought it through an exchange traded product through a broker. That was probably something that made me look a bit closer as well, because about two weeks after I bought it, the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK, outlawed exchange traded products selling Bitcoin. So that kind of tells you something in itself. So from that point on, I started to buy and self-custody it. So that's all I do, really. I uh, I buy and I hodl. So I just DCA in sterling and euros just a little bit when I can afford to do it and just keep um, tucking it away. And I have a, I've got a son now. Partly I'm doing it for him because I think he'll be the beneficiary 10, 20 years down the line. But yeah, that's what I do. And yes, I also went down the shitcoin route, I'm afraid, and bought a a mix of shit coins. Some of them went to zero, and the ones that didn't, I fortunately converted to Bitcoin once I saw the light. Yeah, the only other thing I would say is what's made me probably invest more heavily in Bitcoin and, and focus entirely on buying Bitcoin and nothing else was Michael Saylor, who I'm sure plenty of you have heard talk, but I couldn't believe the level of conviction of Michael Saylor putting his whole company reserves into, into Bitcoin. So at that point, I thought, well, okay, it could still fail, but I don't think it's going to. And I suppose, yeah, I have to shout out to Michael Saylor because the way he talks about Bitcoin is is compelling. Yeah, so that's me. Hi, everyone. Hey, Dumfries. And is there anything you're doing in Bitcoin as well that you'd like to add? No, I've got, I have a fiat job and I have family life, so it takes up most of my time. I would like to do something in Bitcoin and maybe I should do it at some point, but uh not at the moment, no. All I do is bore my wife stupid and my friends, and, I'm, and they kind of ban me from talking about it. So I'm at the point where it's very difficult to get people to, to think about Bitcoin. People have a natural, uh, I don't know, the resistance to it almost because they assume it's a scam. They assume it's a Ponzi scheme. So it's very difficult to get an in with people. And Fleece, you're basically, you're mining fiat. That's what you're doing. You're mining fiat to buy Bitcoin. That's it. Glasgow, yeah, it's exactly what I'm doing. I mean, I actually... I'm at the point, to be fair, where I look at my assets and, and just count the number of Bitcoin or the, the, the amount of Bitcoin I've got. Everything else I've got is going to go to zero versus Bitcoin. I genuinely think that. It's just a question of how long. But yeah, mining fee up for Bitcoin, that's what I'm doing. Whoop, whoop. Thanks, Dumfries. We hop to Bernie. Hey, Bernie. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm Bernie. I'm from Alzheimer's Research UK. We're a dementia research charity. We are UK based, but I am based in Edinburgh. And the reason that I'm here and the reason that I was invited is because we as a charity have started accepting Bitcoin donations. So we're really new to this. Personally, I'm incredibly new to this. So we got our first 
donation in I think it was April 2023 so just this year and really keen to learn more about uh, the community learn more about how else we can get involved and and how else we can raise awareness that the charity are accepting Bitcoin donations. As a charity, so we're the UK's leading funder of dementia research. We have our mission, which is to find a cure for the diseases that cause dementia. And we absolutely think this is possible. We absolutely think this is something that we can do. We just need the funding. We just need enough people in the labs working on it to sort of make those changes. That's where this sort of all links in together. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Welcome, Bernie. I don't know if they've introduced you to the uh, Bitcoin shitcoin concept. Not massively, yeah. I've I've heard it. I've heard the phrase quite a few times, but I I'm still so new to this. But I'm learning a lot very, very, very quickly. We don't currently hold our own wallet. I think that's something that we will be looking into. Currently, we accept donations via a platform called the Giving Block. I'm not sure if anyone's aware of that as a platform already. I know it's quite widely known in the US, maybe more than the UK and Scotland. But yeah, so we're very new to it as a charity and, and me personally. It seems like a really exciting time and something that we absolutely need to get involved in. And hopefully I can learn more about all the different terms and what everyone's talking about. I'm picking things up very quickly, I feel. Okay. And we have the Bitcoin Boomer. I love the name. My name's Claire and I am a boomer. I was born in 1952 so the mathematicians there can work out how old I am. Um, and I did start hearing about this right at the very start. So like one or two others on this call, I was very familiar with Max Kaiser when he was reporting for the Russia Today program. But he wasn't talking about back in 2003, I was following him because I was always leaning towards the alternative views. Don't really trust what we hear in the mainstream media, don't trust the banks at all. And I don't trust politicians either, but then I never have. I've always been a little bit sceptical. So I used to enjoy listening to Max Kaiser, and I knew that his background was in as a broker in Wall Street. And his appetite for what was happening in the particular the stock market was quite a wake-up call for me. And then in about 2006, I met a young man called Simon Dixon, who was also an investment banker. He worked in the London Stock Exchange. We were connected through a business network back in the day. Now, back in 2000, I started my own property business and it took off like a rocket. And I absolutely loved what I was doing. And then a couple of years later, I started a property networking club and we used to meet once a month in Edinburgh. Marriott Hotel in Edinburgh. And uh, it was so successful right from the get-go and it ran successfully for six years. So I loved the networking. I loved teaching people about property investing. I started my own lighting agency. That's still going strong today. I did sell it to my sister, my older sister and her son. And my younger sister is their manager. So that business is still going strong 23 years later, which is lovely. But in 2008, like a lot of other people, I got wiped out. By that time, I was sourcing properties. I was involved in a big multi-million pound property deal on the golf course just outside Edinburgh. It was a very exciting time. I had two banks came to me. I never asked anybody for money. Such was my kind of popularity or awareness of, of what I was doing. 
Now, just to get things into perspective, I didn't come from a financial background and I didn't have an awful lot of money to get started. In fact, I was a single mum and I went from working part-time for a legal firm, earning £150 a week to starting my own business with no mobile phone, no business cards and no understanding of the property market. But I was obviously in the right place at the right time. I started a property networking club that was extremely successful. That ran for six years and we had many, many great speakers came along, lots of of followers every month. Yeah, it was a great time. But then in 2008, of course, everybody knows what happened in 2008. The rug was pulled from under me. So that put me into a downward spiral emotionally, financially. And I started to look closer at what was going on in the banking system. And it was obviously a big shock. I think I cried for about nine months because I couldn't believe what I was learning. I think today it's common knowledge that even starting to talk about it in mainstream media now. I didn't do anything about it then, but also at that time I was still watching Max Kaiser. He was all just constantly talking about Bitcoin. So was Simon Dixon. Simon Dixon wrote a book. He wrote the first book that mentioned Bitcoin. I think it was published in 2011, and it was called Bank to the Future, Protect Your Wealth Before Governments Go Bust. And I remember buying that, one of the first people to buy it, and I followed him ever since. But because of my ignorance and fear, I suppose, of getting back in, getting back on the saddle, I didn't do anything about it until 2017. Now, at that point, my sons were starting to get interested in cryptos in general. I think for Christmas, they sent me £300 worth of Ethereum. And I immediately exchanged it for Bitcoin. And I bought a couple of hundred dollars. I was living in Australia at that time. I bought a couple of hundred dollars. I don't even know how much it was, maybe a thousand. I don't know. I just bought it. I secured it. I knew enough that not your keys, not your coins. I knew enough. I started to follow Andreas Antonopoulos, lots of other popular commentators. So I'm getting lots and lots of background information. I thought, I really need to find out what this is about. So I went, I Googled the Bitcoin white paper. I heard someone mention that and I thought, I must read that. And to my surprise, I followed most of it. There's a lot of technical jargon in there, some of which I didn't understand about the blockchain technology. I couldn't, and to me, 21 million Bitcoin didn't sound like an awful lot when there's 7 billion people on the planet. I didn't understand how that worked. I couldn't understand what the halving meant what mining meant. It was all new language. But I did get the gist of it. And I had this intuitive feeling that this is something that's, to me, the biggest thing since the Industrial Revolution, which happened at the beginning of the 20th century. So there was massive change taking place then. And I thought, I'm just going to watch this. I'm not going to get too excited about it. I'm just going to watch it. But then a couple of years later, I looked at my wallet one day and I thought, oh, my God, what's happened here? Now, at the same time, I'm still following Simon Dixon. Um, he was doing a workshop, an online workshop on Retirement Plan B. That was his program. His program's called Retirement Plan B. And I decided I've got enough money there. I can pay for this for my profits. This will be painless. And then I went really deep on the whole ecology of Bitcoin, which I found fascinating. So today, ever since then, of course, like most people, you want when you find something good, you want to tell everybody about it. But nobody wanted to listen. Of course, because I'd been wiped out, because people knew my background, they didn't have a lot of confidence. So I thought, okay, don't worry. 
anyone who was interested, I'd meet them for a coffee, I'd help them to download an app, and I would send them five quid. That was it. And so I, by now, I think there's been a couple of hundred people that I know of. And last year, I think I've got one, two, three, four, five members of my family came to me and said, can you help me open a Bitcoin wallet? Now, they are very, very cautious. So am I. I'm now very conservative when it comes to any type of investing, despite the fact that I was a big risk taker. As I said at the start, I started my business with no money, no mobile phone, no business cards, and it's still going strong today. So now my challenge is to help other boomers, other people in my age group who are technophobes, who are not even, some of them don't even have computers. And gradually, slowly but surely, they're getting on board. And then hopefully they will, you know, tell another person, he'll tell another person, he'll tell another person. Now, last year I went to El Salvador because I loved the idea when they had the Bitcoin conference in El Salvador a couple of years ago. I was really excited about that and very, very excited about Bitcoin City. That really does excite me. So I went to El Salvador last year, spent a month there, and I do have some secrets that I can share with you a little bit later on if you're interested in hearing about them. Thank you so much, the Bitcoin Boomer. What an awesome story. I'm going to share that story with my mother later. Let's see what she says. So with those words from our guests, we have another Scottish songs. Pick up the pieces by Average White Band. If we're talking great Scottish tunes, then I feel obliged to promote the Dundee contingent here with Pick up the pieces. Then King Bowling chose this song for us. pick up the pieces does anyone want to add anything about this song yeah well i was just i picked it because obviously being from dundee i had to put forward a band that's renowned from that area and the two instantly came to mind were the average white band and obviously danny wilson as well so hopefully we get to, to hear danny wilson later on with the, the 80s epic mary's prayer i'll keep my fingers crossed for that one yeah i really enjoyed the vibe in this song Oh yeah, I mean it's it's an absolute classic. I think it's like a lot of things. It's one of these tunes that nobody can quite believe that it was a Scottish band that made it. They, they hear it and they go, "That just doesn't sound Scottish at all." But that's one of the things that the Scots have just been great at over the years is you know listening to everything, absorbing it, and then regurgitating it back in even better and amazing ways. And I think uh, Pick Up the Pieces really really does that. It's, it really captures that. Very groovy, definitely. Yeah. 
So Glasgow, do you want to kick off the part about Scotland history? Yeah, thanks very much. I just want to start with a, a shout out to Hadrian's Wall, which is still, I guess, in sort of partial ruins just now, which is a bit of a border that separates Scotland and England. And it was it was built back when the Romans started uh, conquering England. And they pretty much, as far as I can remember from my stories from school, was that we never get conquered because the Romans turned up and found us unconquerable. And when I was younger, I remember I thought maybe that was because, you know, we were a, a hard country that you should mess with. But I think looking back now, it's maybe because we were a bit of a, a mess at the time. So, yeah, you can still go and visit Hadrian's Wall if you're looking to drive up north from England. But a bit more recent, Scotland joined forces in the Act of the Union with England in 1707. And it turns out that was in a large part because the Scottish economy wasn't doing remarkably well. And we had a lot of reliance on our, our cattle and linen trade with the likes of England. So it made economic sense to join up as a union. I think... We punch above our weight as a country when it comes to our historical achievements. We've got quite a lot of inventors and thinkers. I'm sure Colin won't let me go without mentioning. In 1776, Adam Smith published a famous book called The Wealth of Nations. He talks about the invisible hand of markets and that they'll adjust themselves if you leave them to themselves and the market can basically take care of itself with not much intervention. Also, Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone. And I'm going to try and link as much as I say back to Bitcoin, because there's a story here where he tried to sell the patents to the telephone to Western Union for $100,000 at the time. And they famously turned it down, calling it nothing but a toy. And as Bitcoiners, I think a lot of us are familiar with Western Union, who are pretty horrendous at sending money transfers around the world. Just, you know, it seems quite poignant, the fact that they turned down buying patents for the telephone, and now they're going to be defeated by Bitcoin. We also invented the television, John Logie Baird in 1926. Alexander Fleming, 1928, discovered penicillin. And I'm particularly thankful to Alexander Fleming for that one because I'm quite prone to tonsillitis. So shout out to Alexander Fleming. We also, this one, a bit more recent in 1966, James Goodfellow invented the ATM or what a lot of Scottish people like to call the cash machine. And again, just when you go down that rabbit hole with Bitcoin, it sort of puts into perspective the nonsense of the fiat system and why that when it comes to any time you go to a cash machine in Scotland and you type in your four-digit pin, the reason it's four digits is because James asked his wife, how many digits should I use? And she said, people could probably remember four digits. And that's why you use four digits, simply because James asked his wife. But as Bitcoiners, you know, we're of a bit more uh, rhyme and reason to we believe in what we're passionate about. A few things to point out as well. In 1997, Scotland was granted devolution, which basically means that Scotland has its own Scottish Parliament. We are in control of some matters, some devolved matters, some matters are reserved, which basically means Scotland can make some decisions, but not all the decisions. For example, when it comes to things like defence, 
we can't have our own army or anything like that, but we do actually have nuclear weapons over at Fastlane Submarine Base. We've got four Vanguard subs that patrol the Scottish waters with their nuclear weapons, which has been a bit of a contentious issue, especially when it comes to some of our more recent history with our independence movement something that's been gaining over the last few years. In 2014, we had an independence referendum and I think it came down a bit more closely than those who won would like to admit. And again, in 2016, you know, we took part in the EU referendum and Scotland, just for to point out, as a sort of country, we have uh, 59 seats in the UK general election which isn't really enough to swing things, even if we all voted for one political party. Eh, that can frustrate a lot of Scottish people. And we're a bit of a powerhouse when it comes to renewable energy. Again, this is a bit more recent history. We've got about 27,000 jobs that are in the renewable energy sector. And I feel like when it comes to Bitcoin, that's something Scotland's ideally placed for with a lot more jobs, especially with the fact that we could be mining quite a lot of Bitcoin with all that renewable energy. We've got an industry that exports four billion pounds worth of electricity alone in 2022 and we're aiming to be renewable by 50 percent 50 percent of our energy to come from renewable sources and i think that's something scotland could easily achieve because you know our geography is great and it's a bit rubbish in the fact that we get hit with a lot of wind and rain and some sunshine but it's in terms of producing energy it could basically be a national bitcoin miner i think and we do quite well other than that, if anybody wants to add anything I might have missed, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the history of Scotland. I think you got that pretty much bang on, mate. Well done. Yeah, but you didn't mention golf or whiskey, Peter. <laughs> yeah, I'm not much of a golfer or a whiskey, but just on that, can I point out that I was having a look, a little bit of research, and Scotland, it's national drink. If you want to, I guess it depends on your age, whether you, you think of it as iron brew or whiskey. But Scotland's the only country that actually outsells Coke and their national drink. And the fact that they, they put Coke into second place behind Iron Brewing, we're the only country that was able to do that. Anybody get any thoughts on Scottish history for me? Anything comes to mind? Anything they learned in school they want to share? That was fascinating, Peter. I just want to say that, you know, whiskey could be, could be you know, an investment as well. Probably not as liquid as Bitcoin. A little bit of banter. Yeah, no, I thought you covered that really well. The, the only other thing you obviously touched on, Adam Smith, so thank you very much for that. You know, birthplace of Adam Smith. I think that's a, a good one when you're dealing with, with Bitcoin. But the, the other thing that you didn't mention, which is probably worth mentioning, is the Scottish Enlightenment, because obviously Adam Smith was part of the Scottish Enlightenment, but he was only one part of it. You know, we had other figures like David Hume, James Hutton, and people like that, John Playfair, that, that were all part of the Scottish Enlightenment. So Scotland's been a home of radical thinkers and divergent thinkers for hundreds and hundreds of years. And a lot of these kind of fringe ideas start in Scotland. And I think that's why we have a, a bit of a reputation for invention and, and these sort of things. I don't know if it's because there's so much rain, you know, we all get stuck indoors so much. We just got to like argue with each other and <laughs> and kind of you know kind of have, have debates on things, but we do seem to spark that conversation and, and those alternative ideas. So I think that's one thing that again, Bitcoin has a natural home here. And there's there's just so many divergent thinkers, I think, ready for this sort of conversation. Yeah, and also you didn't mention 
Andrew Carnegie. So Andrew Carnegie, of course, he was the son of a Scottish clergyman, went to America and started the American Steel Corporation. And one of his legacies, which I thought was wonderful, was that he wanted to put a library into every lighthouse in the UK. I actually visited one in Ireland in Donegal some years ago. It was a beautiful oak bookshelf there with all these books. And this was to help educate and keep the lighthouse keepers from being bored and uh, to help educate them while they were keeping the coastline safe and the ships that were getting close to the, the rocks. But then some years later, well, I think probably a lot of people will have heard of the book The Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin. And that was a book that I read many years ago as well, be- well before the Bitcoin situation. And uh, in that book, they talk about the formation of the Federal Reserve that we all know of today and that most of the money is controlled through the Federal Reserve. Now, Andrew Carnegie was one of the original bankers who met on that eventful night, along with J.P. Morgan and a host of other financiers at that time. Now, I don't know about you know how educated the rest of you are on this, and I don't want to insult anybody, but we all know now the fiat system, they control the money, they control the global currencies and the fiat system, which is the biggest challenge actually when you're trying to orange pill somebody because everybody's thinking about, they're all thinking in terms of fiat money, fiat value and uh, trying to explain the difference between Bitcoin and fiat is the probably the biggest challenge that I certainly have. However, that was really disappointing for me because I was a big fan of Andrew Carnegie. I thought, well, that's incredible journey for anyone to come from a small town. Now, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Colin and Peter, but I think he was from Dunfermline, is that right? Correct. Uh, yep, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So there's many, there's, there's many, many more people that we could talk about. A lot of creators bringing things that we take for granted every day emanated from these shores. Back in the day, it's only the clergymen and the aristocrats who were educated anyway, so the common man didn't have any access to books, so they couldn't it would be easy to um, indoctrinate people into whatever you know system you wanted to take them. But when I read that book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, it really disappointed me because that, I think, was a really bad move for the Treasury, for governments, for the banks. Because as we know, the Federal Reserve and the central banks they're the businesses who control the retail banking sector. And the retail banking sector is under a lot of pressure right now. So it's interesting to see what's happening in the financial markets today. But as we know, all good things must come to an end. And I think we're on the edge of that pivot. It might not even happen in my lifetime or it could happen tomorrow. Who knows? But that's another great Scott that we should acknowledge. I think I just want to add a couple more, actually, was... I trained as a scientist, so I'm a bit of a science fan. And uh, James Clark Maxwell was the guy who wrote the equations that combined electric fields and magnetic fields together. There's a famous quote where Albert Einstein was asked if he stood on the shoulders of Isaac Newton, uh, recalling Newton's quote about, if I've seen further, it's because I stood on the shoulder of giants. And he said, no, I stood on the shoulders of Maxwell. And I think that's, you know, that famous E E equals MC squared is the result. But it starts with the the equations that James Clark Maxwell wrote in, in Edinburgh. And then, of course, the other one is James Watt, who a lot of people think was the inventor of the steam engine, but he wasn't actually the inventor of the steam engine. The steam engine had been invented 
by Thomas Newcomen in Cornwall down in England before James Watt was born. But James actually did something far more important. He made it he made the steam engine much more efficient. And so by making it more efficient, he was able to make steam engines portable, which obviously gave rise to the steam train and steam powered boats and everything else that came with that. So you know, again, thinking of what Satoshi has done in terms of perfecting money, I think it's quite relevant that somebody like James Watt was doing that similar sort of thing hundreds of years before when he was taking a technology that had already been in use for many years in the form of steam power and really unleashing the power of it and, and perfecting it. So it's, yeah, James Watt brought steam power to the world and from there, the Industrial Revolution. With those very thoughtful words about the history of Scotland, we have a song that's called Take Me Out by Franz Ferdinand, another from the crop of Scottish tunes. Danky Colin chose this song for us, and let's hear it. This song is so groovy. That riff, ooh la la. Colin, you chose the song. Can you add something? What's to add, really? It's just a complete Scottish banger. It's fantastic. It's it's one of those songs that when you hear it, you go, yeah, I can't quite believe that came out of Scotland, but thank you very much. I'll take that. And just mention as well, it's also got an awesome music video, so I recommend you, you, get, you check that out if you haven't already. Okay. We are going to cover a little bit about Scotland today. And Glasgow has prepared the start, right? Hey, yeah, thanks. I just wanted to point out a couple of things about Scotland today, just to give you a sort of understanding of the size of our actual economy. We're about 10% of the UK as a whole. We're probably about the same size as Ireland, I believe, in terms of economy. We also have our own Scottish notes, even though we do use 
or the Great British Pound, we we are able to actually print our own Scottish version of those notes. We've got three retail banks, I believe, can do so. The Bank of Scotland, the Royal Bank of Scotland, or RBS, and Clydesdale Bank. They are not government central banks, they're just, just retail banks. As any Scotsman who's ever left Scotland will tell you, you've probably had an issue with trying to use Scottish money, even in England, <clears throat> never mind abroad on holiday. I think we've quite a few of us have experienced that fear of having to get English notes before you get to the airport so that you can actually spend them because you get a few glacate looks, a few odd looks from the resort you, you fly to when you try and explain, no, this is actually Scottish money, but it's still British pounds. And I've said this quite a few times to people that have had that look in their eye that this is legal tender, pal. And the fact that it is actually real money and it's not magic Scottish money that's been printed. So yeah, there's, uh, I'd love to hear any of your experiences trying to use Scottish notes abroad. And just also wanted to point out that that was one of the issues I felt was quite prominent when it came to Scotland and possible independence and that we don't have our own money. And I believe at the time, the independence movement wanted to use or continue to use the Great British Pound, but the UK government ruled us out. And for me, uh, at the time when, when I was involved in whether I should vote yes or no or to remain or to leave it did come down to the fact that I wasn't convinced about the argument for what money to use. Bitcoin is probably the solution for that. If a country did want to go independent, Bitcoin is that foreign currency that's ready to be used by all. And we also have the issue of what do we do with it? the UK government debt. It currently sits at 85% of our GDP and could Scotland survive with a percentage of that debt? I don't know. So those are some issues when it comes to the Scottish economy that, that always played in my mind. But also just wanted to point out that some of you might remember that recently Christine Lagarde from the European Central Bank, there was a story going around that she was letting people pick the colour of the new euro notes, which is really a bit of a slap in the face. But Scotland, also been able to print its own currency, had a competition for its latest £50 banknote where they had a consultation with the public that was agreed that the first woman that was going to appear on a banknote, Flora Stevenson, that might be all well and good. But at the end of the day, I feel like for Bitcoiners, it's a real slap in the face that, you know, we don't get to pick how much money there is, how much money there will be, who has it, where does it go, and what's the history, what's the future of the Great British Pound. But at least we get to pick or be consulted on the picture of the person on the banknote that we used. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, the banknote thing, I've certainly had experience of that myself. I remember being in London once and actually giving a £20 note to a homeless person who'd come and said, you know, do you have anything? I can't remember the story was, but like, do you have anything? I said, yeah, you know, here you go. And I handed them a £20 note. And they went away, you know, over the moon and then came back about, about five minutes later and said, what is this? And I'm like, it's a £20 note. And they said, no, it's not. And I went, oh, right. I looked at it. I was like, yeah, sorry, it's it's a Clydesdale Bank one. It's a Scottish one. So, uh, so yeah, there were that that was my experience of of trying to use trying to use Scottish notes. You can kind of understand it, right? It's like most banks have things like bank, even Bank of England. Yeah, okay, Bank of Scotland, Royal Bank of Scotland sounds kind of legitimate. Bank of Ireland, all these things, but we have Clydesdale Bank. Which you know, I guess if I if I wasn't living here and wasn't familiar with it, then yeah, I'd, I'd probably be a bit wary about that one. So I, I had every sympathy. 
Well, two things there, Colin. First of all, I live in the Clydesdale region, so I'm quite happy that there's a Clydesdale bank. But also, I'm very impressed at the fact that a man from Dundee gave away 20 quid a guy on the street. That's impressive. Yeah, that was that was complete flexing and bragging there, obviously. So, you know, I'm hoping that this has been recorded for, posper- for posterity. <laughs> Dumfries was about to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say, I uh, saw a little video with uh, Christine Lagarde and it was just ludicrous that the only uh, say that people have in the Eurozone is on the uh, design of the banknote itself. I mean, it's just, you know, all the things that they probably would want to say. And so I agree entirely with Glasgow on that. Do you know, I've, I've just looked up um, trading economics and it's showing UK debt to GDP is 101%. So I don't know how reliable this is. So it's, it could be worse than than you'd stated. The United States, 129%. But you can see the way it's going. It's, it's only going in one direction. That's the thing I've learned in the last couple of years going down this rabbit hole is that just the level of currency debasement and the rate of change in it is pretty scary stuff. And I heard somebody say the other day that uh, if it gets to 200% debt to GDP, the only time ever a fiat currency hasn't completely debased from there is in the UK in the 18th century. And there were two reasons for that. One was the Industrial Revolution that happened to coincide. And I think that was the main reason. And the other one was the small matter of there was a British empire at the time. And so Britain was pulling in money from all over the world at the time. So it allowed Britain to trade out of that. But if we got anywhere close to 200% now, we're up. It's game over. I was listening to... Glasgow Bitcoin and to Colin speak. And it made me realize how my mind has changed since going down the rabbit hole in that I used to consider myself politically very well informed. I used to have strong views. I used to think that certain things were desirable and other things were undesirable. And since the scales falling from my eyes about the I mean, I no longer have any faith in any institution whatsoever. I think that all of it is bread and circuses and that our money is so utterly corrupt and debased that it debases inexorably everything else that sits on it and that we cannot fix anything without fixing the money. So my interest in politics, in flags, has dwindled to nothing. My only flag is Bitcoin. It's odd because for somebody who really had very strong views about how we should organize ourselves, I realized that, and I still have friends who are trying various political solutions, and I cannot help see them as arguing passionately about what color of fabric we should have on the deck chairs that we arrange on the Titanic. It seems to me to be... I mean, for so many years, Scottish independence was such a major thing for me. And now it's irrelevant because it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is our fixing the money and then we can decide how we arrange ourselves. I don't think anything good will happen until we do fix the money. So yeah, Bitcoin's flag has overtaken everything else. That was awesome. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, the independence referendum was certainly a big moment for me. Like I was saying at the beginning of the spaces that the financial crisis really brought home the understanding to me about counterparty risk and how the financial system was not all that it seemed. Because I, I would consider myself, I was somebody who grew up trusting the government. I grew up believing that the establishment was a good thing and that they had our best interests in the heart. 
all that sort of thing. So my natural tendency was always to, to err on the side of supporting the orthodoxy. But I have to say that the Scottish independence referendum was really a bit of a turning point for me because I started as a reflexive no in that when somebody said to me, do you want to be independent of the United Kingdom? My in initial reflexive reaction was just like, no, I, I want to be part of the UK because I consider myself a citizen of the world. I consider myself European. I consider myself British citizen. And then I consider myself Scottish in that regard. But it was when I started to look into it and I started to dig into it and educate myself on the institutions of state and realize that I couldn't actually get the information that I required just as an informed citizen to make a rational decision about whether I thought the nation that I was living in would be better served as part of the United Kingdom or whether it would be better served as part of, of an independent country. When I realized that we just couldn't answer basic questions like, well, how much revenue does Scotland actually bring in in a, an average year, right? Questions like that, you couldn't get a straight answer on it. I'm thinking, my goodness, you know, if you can't get a straight answer on that, what else can't you get a straight answer on? So by the time I looked into it and I, I just thought, oh yeah, boy, this is this is not what I thought it was at the start. And and that was really a big turning point for me as well, where I just began to think, right, fairness is so important. And I think that's part of the Scottish character, actually. If you ask most people about what makes Scotland particularly Scottish, there's that sense of fairness of what is right and what is wrong. It seems to be instilled in us. I don't know why, but there's a, a really tangible thing that I recognize when I'm speaking to people from Scotland. And when you begin to realize that so many of the national resources and things have been not just diverted, but really undermined in certain ways, and that moreover, it's done in a way that cannot be quantified easily so that we can have a rational discussion about it. I found that really disturbing. And that was another thing that led to me moving. Maybe not quite as far as, as Bad Boating Club, because ba Bad Boating Club is is like my poster person for <laughs> for for anti-establishment. But uh, but yeah, certainly moving in that direction. I think the, the referendum was a big one. I suspect it was for many others in Scotland as well. So what should we enjoy if we go to Scotland? The weather. Panto count? Does anybody want to try and explain Panto? Go for it, Glasgow. I think you got this one covered. Oh, no, I don't. Anyway, that was just Oh, a... yes, you do. It's behind you. <laughs> uh, yeah, when it comes to Christmas time, we do have our traditional pantomimes where B-list celebrities tend to to dress up in very flamboyant outfits and put on performances. Definitely someone to experience. We've got the Edinburgh Fringe, actually, at the moment. Has anybody been along to see anything? It's something I've never been to. Maybe has anybody maybe more easterly getting experiences with Edinburgh Fringe? I've been in the past. I've actually had friends that have put shows on in the past. It's a fantastic day and night out as well. It's something that I think if you definitely ever come to Scotland, that you should come when the Fringe is on and, and go, because it's amazing. Absolutely. So, as someone from Edinburgh as well, or maybe not from Edinburgh, but living in Edinburgh now, the Fringe is amazing and it's the world's biggest art festival as well. So there's so, so much going on and the city is absolutely buzzing right now if you're going into town. It's a great place to be. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's plenty for families, for kids and for adults as well. I've got two questions. Uh, I heard 
that the tartan, like the patterns on the tartan, they all have like different meanings. And is that true? And my second question is, is it also true that if you don't prepare a haggis correctly, it can explode in your face? <laughs> when it comes to tartans, uh, somebody will have to correct me, but does it all come down to the clan you were from? And I think my name comes from Ireland. People way back, my ancestors came over from Ireland. So unfortunately, I don't think I have my own tartan. But I do remember Billy Conley telling a story about when he worked over in Edinburgh, I believe, in one of the Scottish tartan shops. And he would get American tourists coming in, saying that they've got Scottish ancestors. And can you help me find my tartan? And he'd go, oh, yes, of course, no problem at all. And he'd go through the back and basically fling something together called a bumblebee tartan just so you could make a sale and tell them this is your clan's tartan. I would just add that for anybody considering coming to Scotland at the moment, the Victorian Albert Museum in Dundee has an exhibition on tartan right now. So if you want to know all the answers to those questions, then get yourself to Dundee in Scotland and we'll all be answered. If not by the exhibition itself, then certainly by the curators around there. They know all of that stuff. And as for exploding haggis, I don't know, but yeah, probably. You know, we, we like dangerous things in Scotland. So, um, yeah, food, food that explodes is probably right out there. I suppose it would depend on how much whiskey you drank while you were cooking the haggis. That might have an impact on whether it explodes or not. Yeah, I was going to recommend Scotland's great for long distance walking and camping, if that's your thing. There's loads of long distance trails that you can do. I've done loads of them with friends. Strongly recommend it because the rights of access are really good in Scotland. And so you could pretty much pitch a tent anywhere on, on the right trails. And if you don't like pitching tents, there's plenty of pubs and, and, and inns along the way usually as well. But yeah, I would strongly recommend people visiting. So maybe start with the West Highland Way. It's quite it's about 100 miles long, 96 miles long. But uh, you can really see a lot of great scenery and meet a lot of good people along the way. So that would be my top tip. That and the fringe that you've mentioned already, Edinburgh Fringe. I think one thing I would say is that uh, something that people often don't recognise about Scotland is it's almost like four countries put together in one. And if you do a circle around Scotland, so if you actually fly into Edinburgh and then you hire a car and drive right round the edge of Scotland, you will pretty much find four different countries. It really changes significantly from like the, the lowlands where it's all sort of rolling flats. And, and in, on the east... You tend to get not so much rain. We get a lot of fog in, in, in the east. Rain tends to be more of a West Coast phenomenon. Although, you know, that's we get a lot of rain in Scotland across the board. So, you know, let's not argue that point. But it's definitely wetter in the West. Colin, sorry, you just reminded me as well. I don't think we can go without, if we're on this topic, talking about, would you say Scotland has a strong tech gaming industry as well? I feel like you're best placed to comment on that in terms of sure yeah i'll cover that at the end but yeah it's like four countries so you know you've got your lowlands and then further north you've got kind of moorland and things like that but once you get to the west coast it's entirely different you know you've got these huge mountainous peaks and it's the most beautiful scenery it's one of the few places that i've seen that looks amazing when it's raining people talk about it rain so much in scotland but that's because it just looks so beautiful over there in the islands and the west coast and then down towards the southwest, again, you've got, yeah, you've got lovely, luscious green rolling hills again. So it really is an incredibly diverse geography, given the, the relatively small scale of the place. Yeah, but Glasgow just mentioned there about the kind of cultural impact of gaming in Scotland. And 
Yeah, gaming's been a huge part of culture in Scotland for quite some time now. So the things that the international exports from Scotland was Lemmings was one of the first games for anybody who's old enough to remember that. That was designed in Dundee back in 1991. And since then, that the gaming industry has grown up in Scotland. And in 1997, we invented Grand Theft Auto here. So that was something that that we've now exported pretty much around the world. So I think one of the you know, we have the claim of like one of the, the largest cultural exports, entertainment exports in the last twenty or thirty years has been made here in Dundee. And it's still being made right here in Edinburgh by Rockstar North. That's really cool. I remember I was I was getting on a motorboat in Venezuela back in nineteen nine and there was a guy that had been part of the team making Grand Theft Auto. He was like a rock star to me. Yeah. <laughs> that's great yeah you know people who make grand theft auto are 10 a penny over here you know you bump into them everywhere they're nothing special but it's good to know we, we're experting that bitcoin walk did you want to add anything yeah just very briefly on the back of what colin was saying about you know scotland being so diverse in terms of you know a country a region i'm not from uk you can probably tell by by the accent sorry mary <laughs> i'm not natively scottish but i always looked at uk and and i lived in london for a long time and uh, at a certain point you know we consider the uk the island right so you think of it as the island versus the continent the europe and when you come to scotland you actually discover that scotland has i believe it's 790 islands scottish islands which you put in perspective it's, it really makes it a magnificent country so that there are plenty of remote areas and, and it's it's really astonishing. So anyone who is not from Scotland, not from UK, may not realize that. Like I didn't realize it was so many, so many islands. And, and I think it's really, really beautiful and worth exploring when you go down the bucket list. Bucket list Scotland, definitely on mine now. Thank you so much, guys. We have Beacon Blue by Dignity, a song about a proud man who saves his money to buy a boat. But as Bitcoiners know, it's not that simple. Glasgow Bitcoin chose this song for us. And I'll sail around the West Coast Through villages and towns I'll be on the holidays They'll be doing the rounds They'll ask me how I got it I'll say, I saved my money I say, isn't shit pretty? That shit called in the winter for dignity And I'll sail up the west coast through villages and towns I'll be on my holidays They'll be doing the rounds They'll ask me how I got a house I'll save my money I'll say isn't she pretty That ship Glasgow Bitcoin chose this song for us, but it kind of feels like it's a bad boating club song. But uh, hey, Glasgow, would you want to share something? Yeah, 
really do actually want to share something about this song because I think this one might have ticked Colin off just a little. I just would like to offer a rebuttal before he blasts me. I think Bitcoin and how you view it can be a little bit like going through a bad breakup. Just like when you go, you maybe lose somebody you love and you get your heart broken. You might listen to a song that you've listened to all your life and you see it differently or it relates to you. And when I became a Bitcoiner, I think this song it sort of it enlightened me. I saw it differently. And the fact that it's about somebody who's trying to save his energy to do something on his bucket list. And that's something that can be incredibly difficult given everything that we've been talking about tonight. And just that Bitcoin could fix that. There's a line in the song about reading Maynard Keynes. And if I'm right in saying that, he believed in quite strong intervention, interventionism in an economy in order to spend money and run up a national debt in order to stimulate growth. And then that growth would help with increased tax revenues and so forth. And this sort of race that we've been through in the last 100 years of economic growth and comparing and you know between the G7 and the G20, who's got the most economic growth. But in Maynard Keynes' defence, Colin, I don't think he spoke much about what to do when times were good. I think maybe it might have been more favourable to actually pay back the debt. I could be wrong. I think people latch on to this idea of just spend your way out of troubles. But I'm going to let either Bad Boating Club or, or Column have a, a say on that. No, you're way too harsh on yourself. My point was just when he, when he talks about reading Maynard Keynes, it's like, it's a Bitcoiner. I just hear the word Maynard Keynes and I'm just like, oh, I just can't, can't be doing that. <laughs> but um, what it doesn't say in the song, which, you know, I have to say, it's an amazing song. Deacon Blue Dignity is an absolute classic track. But what it doesn't say in the song is, what the interpretation that he takes from reading Maynard Keynes is. He could read Maynard Keynes and think, well, this is complete bollocks. It doesn't actually say that. It doesn't go into as much detail. So when I listen to that track, I can enjoy it just as much as yourself. And it's purely because when I listen to it, I hear him listening to Maynard Keynes and going, yeah, well, that's total trash. Get in the bin. I'm going with Hayek. I think he read Maynard Keynes and then he had a terrible boating accident. It was poetic justice. Colin, I was actually going to ask you to take lead on this part, which is Bitcoin history in Scotland. Oh, I don't know if I'm remotely qualified for that part. I mean, like I say, I I genuinely up until um, and I'm disappointed we don't have yeah, we don't have Jim Duffy and Jordan Walker here tonight. But Jim and Jordan put together the first, you know, UK Bitcoin conference last year in October and they held it in Edinburgh. That was incredible. And up until that point, so that, what was that, twenty twenty two? It turns out Jim and Jordan both live in Dundee where I am, and I had n- never heard of either of them. And it was because Jim and Jordan had both been shitcoiners for quite some time and had actually had their road to Damascus moment and, and come to the point where they realized that actually the only thing that mattered was Bitcoin. And at that point, you know, they totally went into it to the point where they went and organized this Bitcoin conference and they got these all these amazing speakers like, you know, Lawrence Lepard and Adam Back and Greg Foss. Greg Foss, you know, all these amazing speakers turned up in Edinburgh off the back of Jordan and Jim. And so at that point, you know, I got introduced to to Jim. I I met him and I was like, I can't believe, you know, I thought I was the only person in Dundee that actually loved Bitcoin. But it turns out 
you guys love it every bit as much, if, if not more. And you've organized this conference. So um, yeah, they did come to Bitcoin a bit later. But as I say, you know, we all come to Bitcoin in, in our own time. We've all been through our shitcoin phase, myself included. We all go through that phase of thinking like, oh, you know, it's, it's Bitcoin um, and we can make it better, right? That's always a mistake we make. I guess my take on it was maybe a bit unusual in that to trade, I'm actually a game designer. That's what I've spent the last 30 years doing is, is making video games. And so I actually came to Bitcoin. The thing that when I read the white paper really made me light up was the game design, the way that the incentive structures are pitted against each other such that you can't improve it. You literally can't take any aspect of it and say, well, if we just change this, it'll actually make the, the incentive structure work better. The, the game design within Bitcoin is perfect. You know, I kind of come to it from that perspective and had been harboring that thought for a while. So, yeah, to discover that there were other people in Dundee who I knew, knew nothing about that were organizing a conference was a, an absolute revelation to me. So, could, could I ask, is, is Rivers possibly a place to, to comment? Because I know they all went on the Bitcoin walk after the conference. Yes, we had our probably most epic walk <laughs> so far. We had like almost 50 people going, you know, up on our to seat. And that was really great because we could actually, you know, do as we do, you know, have a conversation away from the screen and, and just literally talk to all those great thinkers and, and speakers in person. That was really quite an experience. And then I feel super privileged that, you know, I had a chance to, to talk to, to those guys face to face in a very kind of relaxed environment. If there's anything more, I'm sure there's some more interesting stuff from, from the early days of Bitcoin in Scotland any more people or any exchanges or maybe uh, yeah some crazy scams i do remember bright solid which was an offshoot of the dc thompson which is the publisher in dundee that runs a lot of local newspapers but also more famously the comics you know the bino and the dandy and all these kind of things i do remember that they were involved in bitcoin quite early and I remember hearing a podcast where we had a guy from Bright Solid talking to Andreas Antonopoulos about, I think it would have been Mount Gox back in, in 2013. But unfortunately, the people who were involved in that, I'm not sure that any of them are still involved in Bitcoin in Scotland. And so that early stage has really been lost, I think. It's a bit of a pity that that continuity has been lost. In but terms of ex exchanges, don't, don't we have Zumo? Has is is anybody ever any experience with Zumo? I think they're an Edinburgh-based company. It's a mystery that I've seen. I saw a billboard with Zumo and Bitcoin on it the year before last, and I've never seen it since. But I think they are in Edinburgh. I'd like to know something about it. Anybody knows? They are in Edinburgh indeed. I once tried to uh, get in touch, but I wasn't lucky enough. But they are an Edinburgh-based company. Are they still in existence? I think they are. I thought of them more as a wallet, but maybe there was an exchange. When I was going down the rabbit hole, I remember seeing one of their billboards and it read on it, if you're seeing a billboard about Bitcoin, it's probably time to buy Bitcoin. I think that was the first time I actually seen an advertisement driving around Glasgow. Yeah, same here. Okay, so we have another song. It's unpronounceable c-h-v-r-c-h-e-s churches oh okay the, yeah the v is is an old scottish way of of making a u 
Okay, so churches is the artist and the mother we share by churches. Here's today's crop of Scottish tunes and another great song chosen by Colin. Colin. Yeah, uh, Churches are an amazing Scottish band. I mean, they've formed in the last 10 years. And the, the thing I've, I love about Churches is they've really done it the independent route. They started completely on the internet. They put out a track and that got some great feedback from listeners. And then they used that and they, and they grew organically. And they've been an amazing ambassador for Scotland and for Scottish music over the last 10 years. And the connection to Bitcoin is that um, Doc, one of the guys that plays in the band, I was following on Twitter and discovered that he was into the shitcoining, you know, all the cryptocurrency stuff. He was in that in the last pool cycle. So I'm hoping that by the time he's been through this and he's realized that that stuff isn't going to work and that Bitcoin is the one true signal in the, within the noise that by the time we get to the next signal, Doc from Churches is going to be an absolute Bitcoin maxi. That's my hope. Thank you. And we have Bernie here, who's a beginner to Bitcoin. And uh, thought that we would kick off this uh, section about Bitcoin in Scotland by um, hearing what Bernie is doing with the, the charity and how it came to be that you guys started accepting Bitcoin. Yeah, thank you. So how we started accepting Bitcoin is we had a few people here at the charity who have been involved in the community and saw it as an opportunity to reach new audiences and fund even more dementia research. Alzheimer's Research UK is a really forward-thinking charity. We're always thinking about you know, new opportunities, new innovation, and how we can reach more people, really. And I think that communities like the Bitcoin community are really valuable networks. They're such great spaces to chat with people and to learn and also sort of engage in different forms of support. We're really keen that people think about donating and also fundraising with Bitcoin. You know, 
as it becomes more widespread and as more people adopt it, I think it will definitely be something that becomes more common. And we just really wanted to be one of the first charities getting involved. But yeah, thank you so much for having having me here. How did the charity decide to adopt Bitcoin as a channel? Yeah, so it's quite a lengthy process, I guess, in the sense of we had a couple of real champions for it in the charity, and then they had to get approval from the senior leadership team and also the governors of the charity. They needed a lot of oversight and needed to understand. I think it took quite a lot of conversation, quite a lot of communication, probably quite a lot of myth busting as well. It wasn't myself at that point who was involved in the initial setup. I joined our online fundraising team quite recently. It was the people that came before me that managed to get it all set up. But we have got a really strong level of support within the charity for it as well. We're really doing a lot of education pieces of our staff to understand Bitcoin is and how it can be used. So yeah, I definitely think it took a lot of encouragement and communication initially to get us sort of set up to the stage we are. That is still ongoing. We don't currently have a wallet ourselves as a charity. We currently use a third party donation platform, the Giving Block, to be able to receive donations. So I think there is a lot further we can go with this. But at the moment, it's just about understanding more, us learning more as a charity, learning what actually people want. How do Bitcoiners want to be involved with charities? Is that something that people are interested in or not? And sort of try and have a lot more understanding and hopefully we can build on that. If I might jump, Bernie, I think you're onto something really big here because, you know, the beauty of Bitcoin is that, you know, you own your keys and you own your coins or Bitcoins. But if you have dementia, then it becomes an issue. I think, you know, that there's from creative perspective to, to get the message across, you've got some really, really strong rationale to accept Bitcoin and to be uh, Bitcoin first, actually. I'll be happy to take this offline and to meet you, you know, and have a little bit of a brainstorm on that. But I think there's plenty of things that could happen there. Brilliant. Thank you. No, I'd love that. Um, it's very much all about learning about it at the moment. Um, and yet, so open to if anyone has any ideas or advice, absolutely open to anything. I'm very open that I'm quite new to this. Glasgow has been really, really helpful in sort of laying things out and going through a lot of the basics with me as well, which I've been so appreciative of as well. And there is a team of a few of us within the charity. So I'm passing everything back to them as well. But yeah, I would love a conversation. Thank you. And your idea there, Bitcoin Walk, how do you actually prevent not being able to access your Bitcoin if you can't remember the password? Interesting marketing angle for your charity in terms of donations. Things like promoting security and promoting multisig where you share the keys with you know closest friends in the family and and maybe you need two out of three for example to access the funds maybe that's something you want to do so again you know from bernie's organization perspective i think that's an education angle that the charity could take to promote self-custody with multisig setup to prevent such scenarios just an example thank you bernie for sharing that I'm quite curious the details of that process that the organization went through. I think that could be really valuable for other charities to learn. So maybe if, if you're a charity, uh, reach out to Bernie. Maybe she can connect you with the right people so that they can share how they did that. Bernie, is there anything you want to add? 
The only thing I'd like to add is just thank you again for having me as part of the space today. As you say, more than happy to talk to any charity. I think it's really important. We're all here for such different reasons and different causes. There's so many worthwhile and really important charities out there. And so I'm a big one for collaboration and sharing knowledge. And just a huge thank you to Glasgow as well for supporting the charity with the Bitcoin fundraising, which was a few weeks ago now, which was fantastic. That was our first sort of fundraiser receiving bitcoin in that way which was brilliant to see and yeah if anyone would like to know any more about the charity about what we do at alzheimer's research uk or would just like to have a chat educate me more i'm, I'm so open to that so thank you thank you very much bernie and i'd like to hear about the community projects if we could start with bitcoin war yeah sure so in a nutshell Bitcoin Walks is a meetup, but it's not your usual meetup where you would agree, you know, a place, usually a pub where, you know, you meet for a drink and then a conversation and then small talk and meeting people. Instead, it's a walk. In Edinburgh, we're lucky because we have one place in the middle of the city, which is Arthur's Seat, the, the old volcano. So we actually go for like a two, two and a half hour walk and we talk about Bitcoin. So, you know, we do it every Saturday. It's become our ritual. And some people say, well, it's like going to a church. Well, we're not quite there yet. We're not a cult, even though, you know, it feels very much like we are a tribe. We support each other and we exchange information in the bird time. To me, it's almost therapeutical to meet with my now friend. And some newcomers as well, because we got some newcomers to Bitcoin even in these times. It's a great experience and it's quite refreshing to actually you know, be away from the screen, put your phone down and pick up the brain of someone walking next to you, you know, see their perspective. And we have our little manifesto where we say we encourage education by just pointing in the right direction. So rather than doing something for you, we would never looking over your shoulder and saying, hey, now you do this, you know, we download this application. We kind of encourage you to do your own research and then, you know, we would give you advice on what you could try and what not to do and these sort of things in terms of getting up to speed and just self-educating yourself because what we really want to do is you to be independent as a Bitcoiner and not having to rely on any third party. And that's what we've been doing for a while now. And honestly, I wish this idea could catch up as a decentralized idea that people would do it in different places around the world. And I'll be very selfish. The reason why I want this to happen is because I want to go to those different Bitcoin walks on different cities and say, hey, here for the first time, tell me about Bitcoin. <laughs> that would be super cool. Yeah, but you know, I think the concept of just going for a walk and talking to a person being out in nature, it's so basic, but so healthy and educational. I love the fact you take a picture every week. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we have a little ritual where we take a picture. We call it proof of walk. There's a hashtag proof of walk. You can see our weekly attendance because every Saturday we meet up and we go for a walk. And, you know, that's been going on. And if you're super private about, you know, your personality, you can just stand backwards in the picture. On our website on bitcoinwalk.org, we have a little bit of a slightly outdated graph which shows the number of attendants to the Bitcoin walk. What I'd like to do with that is I'd like to have a bunch of tweets with proof of walk from all around the world and like visualize the adoption of people going to Bitcoin walk and just see that graph grow. You know, it's just a little play with that. That's the way I want to contribute to the community and to the Bitcoin adoption. Do you define the track in advance? 
For us, it's super easy, actually, because we have a set track. We just go around the Arto seat. And that is a very convenient place because it's literally in the center of the city. And it's also long enough and, and short enough at the same time. Like, it's not super difficult, but, you know, it just takes you for a walk. For us, it's a perfect spot. I can imagine that, you know, anywhere else you could find a place where you can go hiking for a couple of hours and just do that. So it shouldn't be a limitation anyhow. How long was the walk again? About two hours, two and a half. Whoa, that's pretty long. Um, well, yeah, it's a walk. It's not a trekking day, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's six kilometers altogether. Okay, so it's not a power walk. It's more like a Bitcoin stroll. The idea is that, you know, we go and we mingle and we talk. We do change our groups as well. We change topics. One thing I try to do as kind of <laughs> cat herder is to keep the pack together. So if there is someone who's a fast walker, I'll try to slow them down a little bit and make them wait for the, the other guys to pick up. We have a, our little ritual where we end up in the meadows. We end the walk in the park where we start. And there's a food truck that sells gourmet sausage rolls that accepts Bitcoin. We end up buying sausage rolls with Bitcoin. <laughs> a little bit of contribution to circular economy as well. And also a great example to show any newcomers how the free money works, how effective it is, how fast it is. So if someone's new to Bitcoin or new to Lightning Network, they can see how, you know, we make a transaction for like three pounds and buy the sausage roll with that, which is, I think, you know, a great use case. What's the largest number of people who joined the walk? The biggest one, that's an outlayer. So that was after the conference in Edinburgh. We get a 47 or 48 people, but that is an outlier. Normally we get around five, 10 people. If we're lucky, we'll get a dozen. You know, right now, the group of people is big enough for us to keep ourselves entertained and keep the conversations going. There's always something to talk about, right? If you're following Bitcoin, every week brings something. Bad Boating Club was about to say something, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, I was just about to say that those sausage rolls are absolutely fantastic. Okay. Any flavor that you would like to add, maybe Bad Boating Club, any experience that you've had from the walk? Yeah, I think it was one of the first walks. You hadn't been doing it for very long. And I live about an hour and 20 minutes drive away. But my God, I was desperate to meet other Bitcoiners in real life. And uh, kind of walking through this park one rainy Saturday morning, vaguely wondering, what am I doing? How will I recognize them? And it was just great. When you meet other Bitcoiners, you get to fast forward through a lot of small talk. And as we set off on the walk up Arthur's seat, which I should say, it's quite a significant amount of up. And sometimes the wind is so strong that it's almost kind of blowing you sideways off the former extinct volcano, which is in the centre of Edinburgh, which is what it is that uh, we are climbing. Um, it's really lovely meeting people that you know that the most important values of integrity, of respect for the individual, of sovereign responsibility, of equality of opportunity that those are values that you share. And I've got to say, Rivers, I love that you do this walk. And being on this Twitter Spaces thing has just made me realize I have to get down and walking with you more often. I don't know if this song actually fits the theme, but we got a special request for Rivers. It's 
ACDC, Thunderstruck, of course, a reference to lightning. Speaking of a Scottish connection to Bitcoin, let's not forget about one of the most famous bands in the history of rock music. Most people know ACDC as Australian band, but few know it's members Malcolm, Angus and Bond were born in Scotland. And here we go. Bitcoin walk. Yo, that felt good. Yeah, certainly did. With that extra piece of thunder, Glasgow Bitcoin, I thought maybe if you could share your experience organizing the Glasgow meetup. So I've been running a meetup in Glasgow for several months now. It really stemmed from me just trying to find people like myself, just people that were laser focused on Bitcoin. You know, I need to give a shout out to the Orange Pill app as well for the fact that they, they made it easy to try and find other Bitcoiners. You might think of it as a bit of a Tinder for Bitcoiners. That's been really useful in just trying to build a network. Rivers might be doing it in a more physical way, but I'm very much all about trying to do it by sitting down in a cosy, friendly pub and just trying to provide a space that when people are ready. You know, that's something I sort of struggled with in my head about what I'd like to do with my energy. I've only got so much energy to devote to one thing. Do I want to spend that time trying to convince people that, you know, forget about your shit coins, it's just a casino and trying to debate people. You could spend all day and all night debating with people on Twitter and getting into arguments about this coin or that coin. And I thought that's really not where I want to put my energy. Even if people are having other meetups, I don't want to be involved in that. So I wanted to make a space where when people are ready, when people have got it, there's a welcoming, friendly environment that they could just ease into. They could just come along and meet people like themselves. And it's just there waiting for you. And I just wanted to reach out to other people across Scotland or find those lonely Bitcoiners. And I feel like I've met some great people that have all came along here today. And it's just been absolutely amazing. And getting to go on the walk and hopefully try to convince certain other Bitcoiners like Colin to start his own meetup. I think we're just at the beginning of the social network of it, starting to create and be evolved. We've went through so much as Bitcoiners, the different block size wars, the cycles, the 80% drops. But I think now there's there's a strong social element that's starting to take grip. And as, as I say, just wanted to provide a space 
in Glasgow, my closest city to where I could actually have people come along and just sit and chat, get out the wind and the rain and talk about Bitcoin for a couple of hours. How was it in the beginning when you were going to start it out? When did you start, by the way? So I think it must have been, a, as I say, about several months ago. I initially, like, just try to go online and find people like myself, just find other people that were doing meetups. I did go along to another one, but I really just felt it wasn't for me. I didn't like the language they were using. Just too many shitcoiners. It wasn't what I set out to do. And I, I used websites, like I'm sure everybody's heard of like meetup.com. You do when you, you do a basic Google search. And I just thought, even if I'm going to sit in a pub myself, I'm going to create a Bitcoin-only space. We had our meetup there just a couple of days ago. And life happens, people can't always make it. And I was well aware of that. And I was getting a couple of messages from people saying they can't make it or they've had a really difficult day and it's just they've got family over. I mean, it's if you want to call it a summer here in Scotland, it's summertime. People are on holiday. And I thought, I'm going to be sitting here myself, but I've got my phone. I've got a Bitcoin book. I'm just going to ride it out and try and not look awkward and lonely with my Bitcoin hoodie on. But thankfully, a couple of Bitcoiners actually turned up and I didn't look like so much of a, a sad, lonely Bitcoiner. It was a great meetup. I was really focused on the fact that I wanted it to be about quality and not quantity, even if that meant people who were interested in crypto more generally. This just isn't a space for you. I mean, no offence, nothing against you. You're on your own journey. But this is the Bitcoin only space, even if that means turning some people away. It sounds a bit harsh, but that's, as Michael Saylor would say, laser focused just now. I vibe with you so much because this is really one of the things that I think that a lot of organizing and efforts in Bitcoin maybe get wrong is that there's a chase for numbers instead of quality. And uh, I truly believe that one really bitten Bitcoiner for life is worth so much more than a thousand, you know, short term fans that will just move on to something else. So that's really the essence what I think Bitcoin meetup should be about. So you were lucky with this first meetup. Some people showed up and you felt that, okay, I, I should continue. This feels good. How often do you organize them? Yeah, so we meet every second Wednesday of the month. So it's once a month. I'll basically head along at 6 p.m. And, and sit in the same pub and I'll put out my Twitter posts to remind everybody we're meeting. One of the experiences I think I've got compared to other people that come along to the meetup, once people start talking and socializing and everything's quite relaxed, it's great. But I'm always on the lookout for that random person that's walking around the bar looking for the Bitcoiners just in case. So I think I've had a few awkward eye contact moments with people who are just literally in for a drink themselves. And I'm on the verge of ushering them over to come and join the Bitcoin meetup. It's been a lot of awkward fun. I really do feel so lucky to have met quality Bitcoiners, really, really great people that have been coming along so far. I think it's quite a diverse group as well, which helps. I don't think you could label as just a bunch of geeky men or just number go up people. Really is an amazing bunch. And, you know, I'm so thankful to the people that have came along because it can't be easy just to turn up a new location yourself and just try and get to know a whole new bunch of people. But I think it was Bad Boating Club that was saying that it's such an awesome experience. You really do fast forward through all that small talk, you know, people that get it. Whereas when you're talking to your friends and family, 
you might be getting mocked or you might be getting asked how much Bitcoin you have or how much you've lost. And when you tell them your bad experiences, you know, you can be in the receiving end of a few jokes. But among Bitcoiners, there's nowhere else like it. There's nowhere else you want to be in that second Wednesday of the month in Glasgow. Is there anyone here that has joined the meetup that would like to share something? I'm hoping this is Claire's uh, queue. Uh, yes, I was a little bit apprehensive and excited at the same time. But to walk into a very busy pub in the centre of Glasgow, my stage in life was definitely a bit of a challenge. But then again, many, many, many years ago, I used to run pubs in Glasgow. So I'm not backwards at coming forward. And uh, I did come in and there was a lovely bunch of very, very handsome young men. I was the only female in the group. So that was great because I got lots of attention, which was nice. And people willing to listen to this old woman here. Actually, there was a couple of guys from Eastern Europe. There was some with very, very, very intelligent young men. Yeah, a few geeky. I don't think you're geeky, Peter, by the way. But there was definitely a couple of people who were geeky and they were talking language that I didn't really understand. But there was physicists, there was salespeople, there was students People from all walks of life, and the common denominator was Bitcoin, which was great. It was such a relief. And um, having been really successful at networking back in my property days, it was refreshing for me to see. I was really enjoying hearing our experience there about coming along for the first time. Glasgow uh, Bitcoin, do you want to add anything? Yeah, if I could just mention that I don't, I was having a look through some of the people in the Twitter spaces, and I don't recognise anybody that's came along just yet, but there are a few people that have spoken tonight I would very much encourage to come along if you ever want to come see Glasgow. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Rivers, I'm looking at you, Colin, and you know a few, a few others. It would, be, it would be great to have you because I think you know part of the, the answer or the way forward is for us to, to try and build these communities and sort of work together. We're all after the same thing and sort of networking together, I think, is um, an easy win for us all. How far is it between Glasgow and Edinburgh? It's about an hour drive, maybe hour, a little more in, in high traffic. That should be doable. Thank you for that rundown. Especially sympathize with this approach that you're having with quality over quantity. We have bad boating accident, bad boating club, actually. Could you share about your business with those Bitcoin keychains and how you, how you get started first, maybe? Yeah. As I sort of delved deeper down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, I came across the concept of the circular economy and trying to use Bitcoin as opposed to just buy it. And there was this idea of earning Bitcoin. And I thought that that was really good. So what I did, I have a key ring, a piece of metal like a dog tag. And I was at some very shishi boho fair where there was this guy who was basically hammering out whatever message you wanted on this metal keychain. And I had a message which was very meaningful for me. I really loved that keyring. And I loved the fact that it was kind of a code. And I looked at it, I knew what it meant. And they were my keys that I used every day. So not just something that I got and put in a drawer somewhere. And it was quite important for me that if I 
sold anything for Bitcoin that it should have value. Just kind of selling tat or much that I felt was either going to wind up in landfill or I'd had made in China. It just didn't sit well with me with how I envisaged this very virtuous money. So I liked the fact that I was creating something which I consider of value, even though it's just a little trinket, it's still meaningful. But it was in metals that I get from a local metal supplier about 30 minutes away. And that I actually stamp the phrases into the thing by hand. It's me, you know, a pleb in a shed in Fife doing this. And I just thought, well, I'll do this and I will sell them only for Bitcoin. I won't have a fiat option on my website, which not going to lie, I suspect sales have been somewhat impacted by that decision. But the thing about the website is that it is educational without you realizing it. So I've tried to write it in a really funny way. I explain the various phrases and various concepts that I'm using. So uh, one of them is fix the money. Another one, as I said, is not your keys. I have don't trust verify and various other things. And I explain them on the website to somebody who maybe isn't a Bitcoiner, but might be getting a present for a Bitcoiner. And I tell them also that the best present that you could ever get a Bitcoiner is the fact that you've actually bought it in Bitcoin. And I also have links to Coin Corner, which is an exchange, which is an Isle of Man based exchange where I've met the people concerned. I really rate them. If you're going to start anywhere as a novice, I think they are an excellent place, an excellent exchange. I also explain why Bitcoin and why I think it's important to get started. That's it. That's my product. Badboating.club. I just went there. Yeah. Checking it out now. Don't trust, verify mm -hmm. is one of the key rings I'm seeing here. Infinity divided by 21 million. You know, I have that t-shirt. Bought it the Prague conference recently. And it was actually one of the most effective t-shirts that I've had. People kept asking me, why that infinity sign above the 21 million? Fix the money, not yeah. your keys. Is it possible to get a custom? Well, I don't see why not. Get in touch with me. But if somebody has a special request, we can certainly talk about it. Mm. Has anyone from this crew bought keychains yet? Indeed, yes. A number of them are here as we speak. Rivers was my first ever customer. Colin has bought some too. Yeah, I go to Bitcoin meetups and I kind of have them with me because I think I'd really like to buy one if I weren't the person selling them. And then I get too bashful to start promoting them. So I guess the website is the best way of getting it out there. If I could just bring back the memory, I remember that day was a rainy day and we went for a quick coffee with Helen and I saw the keyrings for the first time. It's like, oh, going to buy one for sure. It was the first time, first commercial transaction on the Lightning Network. The yeah. first time I actually bought something. And, you know, we were sitting there having a coffee and looking at people buying coffee with their cards, touching the card to the machine, the machine contacting the merchant, the bank, and, you know, just visualizing the whole flow of the money, how that happens versus what we just did by that table, paying from, I think, Moon Wallet to Moon Wallet, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
it was just boom and yeah. final settlement it's like wow <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and and i remember that you know we like couldn't stop smiling because we clicked you know yeah yeah Colin was about to say something. Yeah, I, I was just about to say that it is literally one of my favorite things that I interact with every day. When I pick up my keys, I've got the uh, not your keys tag on it. I just love that. My wife picks it up sometimes and she doesn't really get the Bitcoin thing. She just sees not your keys and she f- still finds it funny. And I like the fact that she doesn't really understand it, but it still has that emotional resonance with her thing i love about it most is that it sparks that conversation of well what does it actually mean and it's just a great way of, of starting conversation colin made me very very happy and with that thank you and i agree i was at the cairo the other day and my keys were just on the chair and he read them it was like not your keys and again you know the conversation gets started and we did have a good conversation about bitcoin and i'm working on them while he works on me as it were yeah badboating.club. Go to the website and if it doesn't exactly match what you're looking for, just ping at badboatingclub and you can get a tailored, tailored keychain, right? And any of the ones that you want, I got from the States a special stamp with the actual Bitcoin logo on it. So I can add the Bitcoin logo to anything as well. I think on the website, the only one that has it is the probably nothing keyring. But yeah, you can have the Bitcoin logo if you want to be a little bit less subtle. I think it's really important that Bitcoiners buy things from each other. We will at some point maybe have to rely completely on each other buying everything. Yeah. Yep. Spending Bitcoin with another Bitcoin, you know, it's not going to get converted instantly into some shitcoin or fiat. It's going to stay Bitcoin. And I love that feeling. Yeah. Thank you. Me too. My pleasure. I just want to reinforce that message of actually really nice to have Bitcoin merch. I'm currently in San Marino. I'm traveling through Europe and had a t-shirt on with the Bitcoin logo and somebody came up and like, Hey, is that a is that a Bitcoin that sparked a conversation tomorrow? We're having brunch. Yeah, we'll get to know some local. Uh, I really look forward to that. Thank you so much, Bad Boating Club. And is there anything that Colin or Dumfries would like to share? Just very quickly, I need to go through to Glasgow for this meetup. Kind of going guilty because it's only an hour away. So that's my pledge. I'll see you there, Peter. Awesome! Awesome! Definitely, you should feel guilty. We all feel that you should feel guilty. We're very happy that you feel guilty and that you will go. Feels like heaven. It's the opposite of feeling guilty. By Fiction Factory. The band who wrote and performed this is from my wee hometown. I don't know actually what we means in this context. Maybe you can explain it after the song. Haggins. Hoddle chose this song for us and it goes like this. Feels like 
Having Bitcoin, what does we mean in this context? I, I didn't get that part. That's the very Scottish way of saying little. Ah, uh, okay. You may just buy a, a wee bit of Bitcoin. Ah, got it. Thank you. So, guys, anything that you would like to share with us before we part ways? I'm thinking maybe we could start with Dumfries Hoddle. And just to say, I really enjoyed the conversation and hearing different perspectives. So for me, uh, first time I've actually participated in the Twitter spaces. So yeah, really good. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe if you could go next, Bad Bowling Club. Yeah, just as always, I never, ever regret time that I spend with other Bitcoiners. Thank you so much, everyone, for your company tonight. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to hear people that I think can maybe resonate with people that I want to orange pill a little bit more. Like, for example, I would like to have a little bit more conversation with my mother, for example, about Bitcoin. But, you know, I don't feel like she's going to listen to me that much. So if somebody that's closer to her profile in terms of age and sex, then maybe she'll listen a bit more. So I'm thinking in my head, I'm going to do some skits from this conversation that we've had today and I'm going to send to her. So that's an extra takeaway from me. Thank you so much. And uh, Colin. Yeah, I mean, first of all, just thanks so much for organizing this. As Bad Bolton Club said, it's amazing to actually get to spend time with like-minded Bitcoiners. It really is a case of with everything that's going on in the world at the moment and the uncertainty and just the kind of fear and the friction that, that goes on all the time, it's such a relief to spend time with people who see through all of that to the root of the problem. You know, that ability to exchange value freely and fairly and how essential it is to everything else in the whole of society really is inspiring. So thank you very much for bringing everybody together to do that. I think what I've learned tonight, there's actually so much more going on in Bitcoin in Scotland than I knew about. And I'm not, I feel like I'm, I'm not doing nearly enough. So, uh, you know, I've, I've definitely been shamed by the likes of Rivers and Bitcoin Glasgow here. Just the amount that these people do to push Bitcoin forward in Scotland, it's, it's inspiring. And like I say, real shame we, we didn't get Jim and Jordan who organized the, the Bitcoin conference here in Edinburgh last year. Real shame we didn't get them on because I think it would have been great to hear more about you know their experience and what they're they're doing. Cause because they've been for all their shit coining, you know, let, let's talk about that. But but for all the other shit coin, they really did redeem themselves majorly last year by organizing that conference and all power to them. So yeah, last word. Thank you so much for organizing this. It's been absolutely amazing to be a part of it. 
Thank you so much, Colin. Really a pleasure hearing you too. And the question, did they come clean? Was it correct that they, they're no longer shit corners? Yeah, totally. They've completely 180 on it and they are total Bitcoin maximalists now. Like a real, real inspiration for anybody who's currently in that stage of their learning journey. And we have to accept, right, even as Bitcoin maximalists who've been through it and we've come out the other side, everybody has to go through that point where they think that Bitcoin can be improved. It's just part of the learning journey. We can't beat people up for it. We can't become impatient with people to move through it and get to the other side just because we have. It's so important to let people find their own pace, find their own journey and get through it. And yeah, Jordan, Jim are poster child for that one, for sure. Thanks again, Colin. And uh, we have the Bitcoin Boomer. Great to meet everybody. Great to see such a, a good crowd on this call. Thank you for organising it. And thanks for inviting me. And I look forward to connecting with quite a few more new Bitcoiner friends here in Scotland. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, the Bitcoin Boomer. Really enjoyed hearing your stories. And we have Bitcoin Walk Rivers, please. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, on our road to hyper-Bitcoinization, I'll just quote Churchill, you know, if you're going through hell, well, keep going. You know, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. We're going to get there, guys. Hope that come. Michael Saylor's domain says it all. You know, Bitcoin is hope. Bitcoin is therapeutical to me and to many of us. It's just a life changer and we just have to you know, do our thing. So talk to your friends, keep in touch, be safe, be healthy, go for walks and visit Scotland. And thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Yes. Join the Bitcoin Walk. Go to Bitcoin Walk's website, bitcoinwalk.org, and there you will find the details. And Glasgow Bitcoin, last but not least, thank you so much for co-organizing this with us. It's been a blast. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you very much for having us all. This has really been an awesome experience. And just some of the things that has made me think about tonight is like hearing from Bernie and how about when it comes to actually adopting merchants. I think adopting charities a really, really good way forward for Bitcoin can also complement fiat. I think we get stigmatised a lot of the time that, you know, we want to maybe burn down the system. Don't get me wrong, some Bitcoiners may want to do that, but can also work in parallel, work to complement the current system we've got. It just gives us extra options. Bitcoin, it gives us extra functionalities that fiat doesn't. And I just always comes back as well to a quote from one of the spaces that you did with uh, Ireland and Gary, Dublin Bitcoin, when he was summing up what the hell's going on just now. He says, they're just printing money. They don't know what they're doing. And that's exactly it. They're just printing money. Every problem, they're just printing money and they're going to keep on doing it. And once you come to that realisation and once you've been scarred by these shit coins, you know, there's a space for you. Us Bitcoiners are here. We're not here to say, I told you so. We just want you to just plug in, just come and join us because we're all in this together. And I think that pretty much sums up a lot of the ethos that you were talking about earlier on with Scotland. We're a really given country, a really community focused country that just wants to help each other. So please do, if you're thinking about coming along to the any of the Glasgow meetups, I look forward to meeting you. 
Thank you, Glasgow Bitcoin join every second, every second Wednesday, every second Wednesday of the month, every second Wednesday of the month, exactly. Or contact Glasgow Bitcoin and you can find out more. And uh, Mary, please. First of all, I want to say that I'm impressed with what's happening in Scotland. And Glasgow Bitcoin was listing out all the inventors and how they came from Scotland. I was like, wow, okay, that's really cool. But turns out that the Bitcoiners in Scotland are equally, you know, pulling, doing amazing stuff um, in Bitcoin. So it was really impressive. And I hope those who are listening and you want to do something big in Bitcoin, like I hope inspired you as well. I really enjoy this. I really enjoy this. I was just leaning back and listening to the conversation much of the time, actually just suffering, having to interrupt you guys. <laughs> like, okay, we have to move on because I just wanted to just hear you keep talking because clearly the Scottish Bitcoin community is a bunch of really deep thinkers. You're very opinionated and I can see how you're very good at orange pilling people, meaning that I think that you'll be able to quite quickly amass a larger group of hardcore Bitcoiners, identify and then bring them on board. And there's two at least really strong community efforts happening. And there seems to be some gravity and a lot of enthusiasm around that. So very happy to hear that. And yeah, I had a blast tonight. Thank you so much. The Scottish <laughs> accent helped too. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter what they say because it's just so nice. <laughs> so but also the content has been great. And we are Glow Bitcoin Fest. This is what we do. We like to just listen to the local community so that the maxis, the plebs in the local community can broadcast across the world. If you're traveling to Scotland, you can now connect with them. You know who they are. You can just reach out on Twitter, send them a DM or send one of the others a DM if you can't reach them properly and you'll get connected. You can go to the meetup. This is the way. The last thing is how do you say goodbye? We're gonna do it together and everybody has to unmute. This is supposed to be a little bit chaotic. Okay, so how do you say goodbye in like a really Scottish way? Cheerio. TikTok next block. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Yeah, that's a good one. Slange. Slange. And, and lang me your lumbreek. Oh my God. <laughs> Haste you back. That's the other one. Haste you back. Ready for the Weekend by Calvin Harris. They are from the deepest, darkest Glasgow. Here's Calvin Harris representing Southern Scotland. I think he's from around Dumfries. This was chosen by Colin Dum. Hi, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's a great event. Really appreciate it, man.
Global Bitcoin Fest. Celebrate Bitcoin adoption with Bitcoin communities worldwide.